0: You're listening to a Cyberwire podcast from N2K Networks, powered by Dragos.
1: It's November 1st, 2023, and you're listening to Control Loop. In today's OT cybersecurity briefing, Rockwell Stratix routers are vulnerable to a Cisco Zero Day Security Week's ICS cybersecurity conference. Malware attacks against IoT devices increase by 400%. A nuclear power plant operator is cited over a cybersecurity plan and CISA's ICS advisories. We welcome guest Garrett Bladau to the show. He's a distinguished engineer at Dragos. We caught up with Garrett at the CyberCon 2023 event in Bismarck, North Dakota. He discusses active visibility into OT systems. The Learning Lab has the second part of Mark Urban's conversation about cyber threat intelligence with Paul Lukowski, who is Dragos' Director of Intelligence Services. Rockwell Automation has warned that its Stratix 5800 and 5200 routers are vulnerable to the recently disclosed vulnerability in Cisco IOS XE software's Web UI feature, The company notes, while Rockwell Automation has no evidence of active exploitation against the Stratix product line, this vulnerability was discovered by Cisco Talos during an incident response for a Cisco customer. Rockwell adds that it strongly encourages customers to follow guidance disabling Stratix HTTP servers on all internet-facing systems. Security Week held its ICS cybersecurity conference in Atlanta last week. In a fireside chat hosted by Security Week editor-at-large Ryan Narian, John Hulquist, chief analyst at Mandiant Intelligence, described activity by China's Volt Typhoon threat actor. Hulquist noted that China's interest in staging potentially destructive attacks is a relatively new development. Later, Mackenzie Morris, senior industrial consultant at Dragos, gave a talk emphasizing that better practices beat out best practices recommendations with feasibility, cost, likelihood of implementation, and improvement in security posture. The next day, Benjamin Sterling, Global Director, ICS Cybersecurity at ABS Group, discussed risks to chemical processors in cyber-physical environments. Sterling added that one of the major issues facing the petrochemical industry is lack of visibility. A report from Zscaler's Threat Labs has identified a 400% year over year increase in malware attacks against IoT devices in the first six months of 2023. Activity from the Mirai and Gafgit botnet malware families accounted for 66% of attack payloads against these devices. Additionally, the researchers found that 34 of the 39 most popular IoT exploits specifically directed at vulnerabilities that have existed for more than three years. The most commonly targeted devices were routers. More than half of malware attacks against IoT targeted devices in the manufacturing industry. The report notes, On an average week, the manufacturing sector receives more than triple the number of attacks as any other sector. With a low tolerance for operational disruptions, manufacturing is high stakes for malware attacks. High attack volumes not only jeopardize IoT systems, but also pose a serious threat to OT processes. The UK's Office for Nuclear Regulation has cited EDF, a French power utility that runs five nuclear power plants in the UK, for the company's failure to provide the ONR with a comprehensive and fully resourced cybersecurity improvement plan in a timely manner, Silicon UK reports. The ONR stated, EDF's corporate center has been moved to significantly enhanced regulatory attention for cybersecurity. EDF has made two new appointments to specifically address cybersecurity. We have subsequently met with EDF's senior team to ensure regulatory expectations are understood. On Tuesday, Rockwell Automation and Dragos announced a partnership under which Rockwell will be making the Dragos ICS security platform available to organizations, giving them enhanced ICS OT cybersecurity threat detection, providing global deployment services and support capabilities. The partnership is expected to help customers operationalize their security investment. We close with some advisories on ICS vulnerabilities from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. On October 17th, CISA issued two advisories for vulnerabilities affecting Schneider Electric EcoStruxure Power Monitoring Expert and Power Operation Products and Rockwell Automation Factory Talk Links. On October 19th, the agency published an advisory for a set of critical vulnerabilities affecting Hitachi Energy's RTU-500 series. And on October 26th, the agency released advisories for vulnerabilities affecting Dingtian DTR002, Centralite's Pearl Thermostat, and products from Ashlar Vellum, Rockwell Automation, Silco, and BD. Recently attended CyberCon 2023 in Bismarck, North Dakota, where I had the pleasure of catching up with Garrett Bladau. He's a distinguished engineer at Dragos. We discuss active visibility into OT systems. So uh you and I find ourselves here at Bismarck State College. We are here for CyberCon 2023. Uh, and you are presenting later this afternoon, and have graciously agreed to give us a little preview of that presentation for our show here. What's the title of the presentation?
2: It's uh, "Going Active in OT," uh, and we're gonna—I'm going to talk about sort of the benefits of uh, asset visibility, which is um, one of the biggest challenges our customers have. They just don't know what's necessarily on their networks because they've evolved. Through twenty years of like static emplacements in oil and gas pipelines, or manufacturing, or energy grids, right, right, and uh, you know a lot of security solutions in the IT space are around scanning, right. I'm going to bring my Nessus scanner, I'm going to bring Nmap, and I'm going to use those tools to just poke everything out there and and see what happens. Yeah, Uh, but the the challenge here is is that itot break again right right IT is meant for that resiliency right they've they've kind of built that into their ecosystem they're expected <laughs> to be poked all the time it's a feature yeah it's a feature not a bug <laughs> right uh, and you know the OT systems were built to be closed loop systems right right um, and and the devices that are out there they're really good at their job real-time measurement sending data out uh, being as available and reliable as possible. What didn't happen was any encryption, any uh, authentication, any of that sort of stuff. And then, you know, they were built for the use case they were built for, mm. right? Measure these devices, send those sensor readings back to uh, a thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and keep doing all of these real-time operations. And what happens if they get an interrupt, all right? Something mm. coming in from the side that says, hey, tell me your identification, Hey, tell me it again. No, really, tell me it again. Right, right. right. Um, and it's like, uh, and, and one of the examples I have is uh, one of the specific OT protocols, Ethernet industrial protocol, Ethernet IP. And it's great. It's got one call. You say, "Give me your ID." Everything comes back. You get the serial number, the product name, when it was last installed, when it was updated. Right. You can even get the software that was installed on it and bring it back. Um, the challenge is. You know, if you do that a million times in a row, the darn thing falls right over, right? Because it's trying to do the measurements, it's trying to you know grab the stuff from the actuator, right. and then it's trying to answer your question. And you're just like you're, bug off. You're you're like that toddler, like mom, mom yeah, exactly, mom, yeah. mom. Um, <laughs> and you know, and again, it's uh, there are programs out there like Nmap or Nessus that people will take off the shelf and try that. Not that they're bad technology at all. Hell, yeah. heck, they're great for cybersecurity. Tools. Right. But, uh, you know, when you, when you take that and take it off the shelf and just say, you know, beep, bop, boop, do that thing that I've asked you to do in IT, but against OT systems, there's all these unintended consequences because OT is IT plus physics, right?
1: Can you give us a, a sort of a, a simplified example of a, of a system that would uh, kind of fall victim to this? You know, what sort of workflow would this apply to?
2: Right. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look at like oil and gas pipeline, mm. right? Uh, a lot of them have these programmatic logic controllers, PLCs, um, and those devices are taking the measurements from the sensors, or maybe they're moving an actuator. Right? This is literally like I am opening the pipe, I am shutting the pipe. Right? How much pressure is in that pipe? You know how much is how much liquid or whatever is flowing through that pipe? Right? All of that is happening. And it's and it's trying to send that data back to some sort of historian or uh, human machine interface, you know, for that control op- engineer operator to say, my pipeline is green today, mm. right? Everything is working as I as I intended it to, and oh, I need to shut that pipe. I'll hit the button. Boop. I can see that that button happened. The pipe shut. Right. All of these things are are going on um, in in that real time, real time automated fashion. Right. Uh, you know, all of these protocols are, are running this, and they're intended to be fast, loose, make sure, you know, it's availability overall, right? That's the only thing that's really emphasized in in that world. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, now, if an attacker should gain access into uh, that environment, right, everyone thought their systems were air-gapped. In six years of Dragos doing business and professional services and reviewing architectures and doing instant response, we have found exactly zero air-gapped OT systems. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and it doesn't take a lot of technical expertise to go in there and write a packet because they're mostly uh, UDP, user datagram protocol. right? right. Just write one packet on the wire and that's it. You don't even have to have a session. Poof, shoot that out. That thing is now... Off its track and not necessarily, you know, working in the same uh, working state that that you have. Right? They're all open. They're all read-write. Um, there's not like I can put a lock on it and say stop listening. Right? There's no firewalls on them.
1: They, they, so help me understand here: they're 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 not built with um, any sort of uh, adversarial communication in mind.
2: Not at all. Right. Again, this protocol that we're talking that I've, I'm emphasizing, Ethernet IP, uh, it was it was built in 1991, right? Hmm. Uh, defense in depth was not a concept yet, hmm. right? Uh, another one, Modbus, another protocol that's in this heavily used in the OT space was built in 1979, right? right. We didn't even know that computers existed half the time, right? Right? right. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know these have evolved, and they've always evolved in that that context in the OT world of, don't worry, no one else has access to this system. It's closed. We'll we'll never, you know, have to have worry about an intruder in this system. We Mm. control everything, Mm -hmm. right? And now with the OT-IT convergence that we're seeing across the world, you know, that is not true anymore. The, The advent of industrial IoT, right, where I have a 4G, LTE, 5G device, you know, it's now controlled wirelessly, right. um, and it's sending those same data. I don't even control the wires that go to it anymore. To
1: what degree is it a challenge to um, know that the information you're getting back from a remote device is truth, is, is ground truth? In other words, this this device is telling me that the valve is open, but unless I have someone with eyes on, how do I know the valve is open? I suppose I know the valve is open if the other Thing is, measuring flow through the pipe, right? Is that
2: that's typically it, how it is? Right? It, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a lot of redundancy in these systems. Okay. to kind of you know, give that control engineer that peace of mind that the system as a whole is working as it's intended. I see, but again, from an attacker perspective, which is typically where I come at it from, that's one of the biggest uh impacts that that are that can happen in a control system. Right, we call that uh, lack of visibility or lack of control. Right? Lack of control is I've lost control of the entire device. Lack of visibility is I can't trust the data that's coming back from that. I right? see. And it's very very easy from an attacker's perspective if you're in the system to send the inputs back to something that's reading the console. You know that the in- control engineer is looking at, and you know you can make it look red when it's green or, or green when it's red. Um, And that includes even the, you know, the readings that are coming from a pressure sensor or that, right? You can fake that funk Mm -hmm. uh, if you know what you're doing from a protocol level. Um, But again, you know, control engineers don't always look at one component. They always look at the system. And so that's the bigger challenge from an attacker perspective is how do I make everything look like it's supposed to across the entire ecosystem?
1: Yeah, So what are you proposing then? I mean, in your presentation today, uh, it's not just doom and gloom. You've got some solutions in mind, right?
2: Right. Um, So a lot of it is go to a vendor that knows what they're doing in the OT space, right? Uh, One of the things that our our technology does is we've actually taken the right capacity out of it. It's only read at this Hmm. point. Right? Uh, and so we, we are not able to go and change the values within a system and, and do things, even if an attacker would gain access to the software we're giving, you know, the control engineer. Um, and you know, a lot of it is really just understand the context of what you're doing. And the, the biggest takeaway and this is the last slide in my deck mm. is do not do this on production systems ever. Bar do, none. do not do what on production systems. Do, do not systems? go. Do not do active identification or active, you know, looking for your assets when a system is in production. Okay, there's always an unintended consequence to what you're doing.
1: So let me push back on you there a little bit. you know, I remember from uh, in a previous career when I was in the the digital video world, there was a saying, you know, never update your software uh, in the midst of a project. And the challenge was. We're always in the midst of a project, so uh, is this a matter of um, regular downtime, scheduled downtime, those sorts of things? It is,
2: but that, but that's built into an OT systems life cycle. Yeah, right. That you know, if you're running a plant uh, uh, or an oil refinery, mm. they're literally shut down for probably two months out of the year for health and safety and maintenance. Not just of you know the pipe is worn. But it might be, you know, they're replacing pipes, they're replacing this PLC, they're doing all of these different things, and that's built into how they operate an operational technology platform. Um, and so, what we're what we're saying is that's also the time when you start to do your active testing of the systems to make sure that they're working as you intended, and also to find that PLC that someone stuck in the rack five years ago that you didn't know. Right. Right.
1: Ultimately, where where do you suppose we're headed here with this? I mean, what is the what is the, the, the ideal future state look like to you?
2: Uh what the ideal future state that I think we're we're headed to is that hybrid environment. Right. Most of the OT security vendors in this world, they they have some sort of sensor product, hmm. right, that's out there passively listening to the chatty protocol traffic that's happening. They'll identify assets, they'll make sure that everything's in, you know, quote-unquote normal state, right? Uh, And we can introduce uh, an active component to that. Maybe as an actively I can send a, you know, give me your identification packet, right? But I don't even have to listen to it. I send that out, the the, the device burps out their identification, and my sensor picks that up, and I don't have to even further interrogate that or ask it more questions or even you know, push its registers to the limit because I've, I can do it with sort of one shot and use the rest of my technology uh, in order to help and facilitate that sort of hybrid environment. Mm.
1: All right. Well, I think I have everything I need. Um, is there anything I missed?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not really. <laughs> I think in, at least for this, for this pro- product uh, or this, this sort of concept. Uh, the one thing that I that I would like to talk a little bit about is sort of this uh, the new generations of threat intelligence mm. and and making sure that you know we're all in this together, right? So a lot of of what we're, we're doing is these shared threat intelligence environments uh, and uh, being able and participating in that. Um, the nice thing about a lot of the technology that we've built there is that it is anonymous, right? You can provide anonymous data that's not going to get you in trouble with your regulators mm. uh, or any of that sort of data to help in the common defense of these systems. Um, We're already seeing it pay dividends uh, with Dragos Neighborhood Keeper, um, but you know, if there's anything that you can participate in uh, in that sort of ilk, please, please do. Uh, the other part of that common defense is common action. Uh, one example that I really like to push is uh, it's, an, it's an electric utility concept. Um, of like the old lineman, right? The lineman in the truck. If there's a hurricane in Louisiana, North Dakota is going to roll truck down and help those people uh, to bring back power in that environment, right? right, right. We're, not, we're not busy. Right. You know, it's spring here, right? Ice storm hits us in North Dakota. There's that mutual assurance where Louisiana is going to roll truck, come back up in, to North Dakota. And what we're starting to see is that same concept being applied in the cyber environment. Um, where, you know, there may be a large investor-owned utility that has the money to have an IT sock, an OT sock, you know, Intel analyst sources, right? All of these things that come with actually being able to, uh, you know, invest in your cybersecurity program. Or you might be that co-op that's out in McKinsey, you know, County, North Dakota, where you run the IT, the OT, and you mow the lawn on Saturday,
1: mm.
2: Right. And this thing bl- blips across your screen and you have no idea what it does, right? It's what we're trying to do in this mutual assurance is being able to click a button and say, help me. Um, and having you know, that investor-owned utility, maybe in you know a different region in the United States, bring their expertise, help that person, get the data they need. And then at the end, they all press a button. Right, and everyone goes back to being anonymous, and that's uh, one of those things that we're we're really trying to push for common defense here at Drago's. Our thanks to Garrett Bledow from Drago's for joining
1: us. In this week's Learning Lab, the second part of Mark Urban's conversation about cyber threat intelligence with Paul Lukoski, Dragos' Director of Intelligence Services.
3: Hi, this is Mark Urban with another edition of the Learning Lab. And today we're going to talk about um, threat intelligence for operational technology. And I'm joined today by Paul Lukoski uh, here at Dragos. Paul, welcome. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk about this. Can you talk a little bit about what does a threat intelligence vendor deliver? And we'll just use the, the Drago's context. Like, how do we deliver that intelligence to a customer environment?
0: Sure. So, in the context of Drago's, one of the one of the primary ways that we have prioritized delivering. Threat intelligence, or at minimum, having a, uh, a threat intelligence influenced capability is, is with the Dragos platform. And what I mean by that is our threat intelligence team uses everything that we gather during our daily hunts and, and we create detection signatures that are then deployed into the Dragos platform. So for the customer, having an intelligence-driven detection within Drago's platform, it's—I mean—not only is it one of the the aspects that really differentiates Drago's from other threat intel vendors in the in the same space, but it gives kind of like that backstop, that peace of mind to Drago's platform customers that they know that any alerts or detections uh, that are popped up that, that pop up in their platform, there is a a threat intelligence nexus upstream from that detection. And there's always the opportunity to kind of have that reach back into the Dragos ecosystem and ask for additional context. Now, with those detections, uh, I will say that sometimes detections don't always provide the the right level of context. So that's one of the reasons why whenever we're having those conversations with people, I, I always, and, and irregardless of whether or not this is a Dragos customer or a Mandiant customer or a CrowdStrike or whoever, it's always good to have multiple points of view. And it's always good to have that kind of understanding of how different components of the threat intelligence delivery model works. And what I mean by that specifically is you want to kind of break it down into three different areas. So tactical intelligence, strategic intelligence and operational intelligence. And and this is how I always describe it to our customers at at Dragos Intelligence, or our customers of Dragos Intel. So tactical intelligence, it's really designed for kind of that immediate human or security device action. Usually they're driven by indicators of compromise, like I said earlier, malware hashes, uh, IP addresses, domains, URLs. Detection signatures, vulnerability information like CVEs and things like that, CVS, uh, CVSS2 scoring. Uh, an example in worldview of what uh, could very easily be um, consumed as a tactical deliverable is the weekly suspicious domains report that we internally lovingly refer to as quote unquote the DOM. And those reports capture uh, every single week hundreds of domains and IP addresses that we have assessed to be either at minimum suspicious and at most certainly malicious. And they are often masquerading as OT vendor uh, URLs, um, the app, right? Uh, A lot of them we see masquerading as very common uh, malicious domains that are um, trying to mimic Microsoft, O365 logins, things like that. So really aimed at credential theft and those initial intrusion techniques. Um, And then we have strategic intelligence, which is really designed for long-term projects and security strategies and investments because it focuses on trends and patterns that we've observed over a measurable period of time. So in the last quarter, we've observed X percentage increase in ransomware operations impacting industrial organizations. And, And the idea there is that if you are an industrial organization and you're not paying attention to ransomware, then you probably should be. Because it's clearly ramped up over the last 90 days. Um, In worldview, an example of this would be our executive threat intelligence, uh, our executive threat insights report, which is a quarterly report that provides a retrospective of of the past quarter's OT cyber threat uh, intelligence. And then, lastly, operational intelligence, which is really the bridge between tactical and strategical intelligence, and and that it expands on tactical indicators with that added context. And and that added context can be anything from uh, those post-compromise behavioral elements, like the adversary gets into the environment and then they move laterally through the IT environment using PowerShell and other Windows-native tools. And once they find the, the DMZ, these are the things that they do. And then, obviously, probably the biggest Uh, context that can be added is is really around, like, what is our assessment of the adversary's objectives? What are they really trying to do? Is it information gathering? Is it intellectual property theft? Is it destructive or disruptive operations? Is it reconnaissance? Or in in the sense of the cybercrime ecosystem, is it monetary gain? Is it kind of profiteering? So all of those things are our added context that we kind of lump into that operational intelligence. And within the DRAGOS uh, worldview uh, portal, we have different types of reports that meet and exceed all of those elements.
3: Just as a quick summary, uh, you know, a lot of the intelligence is compiled into software that operates on the DRAGOS platform to fire detections against some of these threat behaviors. So that's kind of thing one. Thing two is then a worldview subscription in our example delivers kind of reports, analysis, et cetera, at the tactical level, at the operational level that adds context to that tactical level, and then that the strategic level that get, might give more insight into kind of threat groups and campaigns and overall. So it's a good kind of uh, taxonomy there, C- could you give me one or two use cases if I'm in an Intel group in a company that you know I have, I don't know, three five feeds, including like Dragos? How is that? Can you give me an example of how OT threat intelligence thing that comes through worldview would be used in the context of I don't know if it's a SOC analyst in, in a specific environment, just give me a use case about how that would be used in a use case form.
0: Sure, so one very distinct use case that I can reference and and that's because one of uh, we we dealt with this exact situation with one of our concierge' customers is um so there is a significant risk trend that we've observed with industrial organizations and in that there is that there are often quite a number of OT devices that are publicly accessible from the internet. And with the Dragos Threat Intelligence team, we have a number of different tools and and techniques that we use to kind of identify those things. But what that does is it creates a point of entry in which adversaries can almost directly access the OT environment without having to go into the IT environment, root around figure out where everything is, enumerate the network, and then successfully navigate over into that and establish persistence. What these publicly accessible devices do is they're you know RDP servers and things like that. And sometimes we've even come across circumstances where RDP servers are using very, very weak credentials or the default credentials that were supplied by the vendor at the onset of deploying it within the OT environment. So We came across this circumstance with one of our concierge customers and our concierge analyst that was supporting them, observed some kind of bizarre activity. They're also Drago's platform customer, and and we observed uh, some bizarre activity where it seemed like there were some brute force attacks that were happening, and what our concierge analyst figured out was... It was they had a, a couple of different RDP servers that were linked to their um, that were linked to different engineering workstations within the OT environment, and they were publicly accessible. And adversaries were trying to brute force their way into those RDP servers. So, in this use case, we notified the uh, the concierge customer, and then we worked with them to help identify those external network-based indicators that the adversaries were using to conduct the brute force attacks so that all of that network traffic can be dropped at the firewall level we also helped the customer identify and better map out all of those public-facing ot assets pull them off of the network so that they were were no longer uh, publicly accessible. And then obviously some of the basic hygiene things and best practices of creating better credentials and uh, hardening those assets with role-based access control and things like that. So that's a really good use case example of very OT-specific threat intelligence.
3: Do you have one you can share around like a standard vulnerability report? I mean, we mentioned, uh, you know, control logics and and. Things that sometimes Dragos does kind of uh, public-facing webinars and information that are available to the the general public, including our customers and, and non-customers. So, Paul, could you give me an example of a uh, kind of a, how a vulnerability kind of alert might be used by somebody receiving that information?
0: Somebody that's receiving one of our vulnerability alerts within their environment through Worldview what they would want to do is dig into the vulnerabilities uh the vulnerability specifically and the the unique aspect of dragos intelligence and and the vulnerability threat intelligence that we provide is that all of the assessments are driven from um all the assessments are driven from our own analysis and research conducted at our ics range located in our at our headquarters in maryland and because of that it allows us to provide very bespoke unique perspective on the different technologies and the vulnerabilities that are relevant to those technologies you're not really going to find that kind of information elsewhere for example there's a a recent vulnerability that we released Ardrag systema scada And when customers get these reports, they can see the in-sum, which really lays out the CVE numbers. So there's always that link to other resources to compare and contrast. Well, what is Drago saying versus what is also being publicly reported elsewhere? Again, it's always important to have multiple points of reference whenever you're working with threat intelligence, particularly with vulnerabilities, because everybody has different interpretations of what the vulnerability is, how an adversary may use it, and what to do about it. We include a lot of uh, our obviously assessment around restricting access, um, whether or not there are public proof of concept exploitations that exist. So customers can take these assessments, identify whether or not they actually have the technology in their environment, because as I mentioned earlier, that's always a big uh, unknown with many organizations is what they actually have in their OT environment and then taking the vulnerability assessments that we have here, using any uh, of the information that we've provided, whether or not if it's remotely exploitable, maybe you take that information and then build out processes and protocols around those uh, vulnerable devices so that it's no longer remotely accessible.
3: That's a great example. So you, you get a vulnerability analysis. You know or you don't know if it's in your environment. If you do it have an environment, it provides kind of like, hey, here are some steps you can take to limit the risk associated with this particular vulnerability, like um, implementing specific uh, access controls to remove external addressability of that. Good example. What, what happens then uh, if they need kind of more questions? Obviously, there are these standard reports that come in. They can utilize them. Good intelligence uh, means that it's practical to operationalize in their environment. And is there is there room for if they need a clarification on something or if they need to understand a little bit more fully than what's in the report?
0: It absolutely leads to more questions. And almost every week we field questions from all sorts of customers, but probably the most asked question is how are these things relevant to me years ago organizations were often just excited to be in the know and that was a lot of times driven by general curiosity because as i mentioned earlier the cyber threat intelligence ecosystem was still quite new and a lot of people felt like those things were really reserved for classified environments I think the CTI landscape has changed quite a bit. And I think customers are now more aware of cyber threats. And as a result, they're really hyper-focused on this idea of CTI for me. What does this mean for me? Is this impacting me? What should I do about it? So we we get a lot of questions around clarification on those things. And one of the neat things about being at Dragos and, and standing on top of the mountain in terms of OT threat intelligence is that we field a lot of questions from customers that are really just asking us our opinion on different things. And that in and of itself is really cool because it gives us an opportunity to maybe train our attention onto different areas that we weren't necessarily thinking about. A really good example of that is you have a customer that says, "Yeah, hey, we saw these localized news articles about ransomware being Successfully deployed in an organization's OT environment. And as a result, all of their OT environment got locked up and they had to completely shut down their operation. What do you know about that? And that kind of gives us uh, a little bit of an opportunity to retrain our focus onto, okay, well, how do ransomware operators actually get into an IT environment or an OT environment? What are the common points of entry there? Historically, what ransomware operators have gotten into the OT environment? before deploying the ransomware and just kind of allows us to build out that level of expertise into a variety of threats that are directly relevant to the OT environment. And at the same time, it allows us to build up those bona fides with those specific customers and continue to be that trusted advisor. And it's really cool when a customer pings you directly and says, Hey, Paul, we saw this. What do you think about it? They're not asking you for an official confidence-based assessment, they're just simply asking, what do you or your colleagues at Dragos think about this particular threat intelligence topic? Because we're interested in knowing what you think. And that doesn't have to be anything formal. And that's one of the really nice aspects about having a, a, a really quality threat intelligence capability like we do.
3: Excellent, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Lukoski, part of Dragos Threat Intelligence team here focused on the OT side of Threat Intelligence. And that'll be a wrap for today's Learning Lab on Threat Intel. Paul, thanks very much. Thanks, Mark.
1: And that's Control Loop, brought to you by the CyberWire and powered by Dragos. For links to all of today's stories, check out our show notes at thecyberwire.com. Sound design for this show is done by Elliot Peltzman, with mixing by Trey Hester. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our Dragos producers are Joanne Rosh and Mark Urban. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time.